Today, Pastor Javen continues our series on Genesis, and we see how important complete surrender is to God and His plan in our lives. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. I don't know if you've ever been asked to to give up something you truly treasured, to, to, to give up something that really meant something to you, that meant a lot to you. The moment you're faced with that kind of decision, it's a difficult decision to make. And there's a lot that you probably struggle with in, in facing that and in making that kind of decision and letting something or maybe someone go. But I don't, I don't know if, if anyone has ever been asked to make the type of sacrifice that Abraham was asked to make that we're going to see in the passage of scripture that we go into today as we continue on in our study of the book of Genesis. We're in week six of looking at the book of Genesis to see what we can glean from the very first book in the Bible. We have looked at the origin story of creation. We have seen how God created man. He created the world that we live in. We looked at the fall of man. We looked at the flood of Noah. We looked at the covenant that God made with Abraham for all of creation. We looked at last week, we looked at God's rescue of Lot and his family from Sodom and Gomorrah. And we've learned a lot through these weeks. We have learned through these studies that we've been doing that God, God has called his creation, his, those that he's created in his image to be in communion, to be in relationship with him and one with another. And as we do that, we're called to cultivate his creation for his glory, to use the gifts that he's given us for, for him. But we've also seen that sin wants to come in and sin wants to separate us from God. It wants to separate us from each other. It wants to pervert the call that God has on our life, the giftings that God has put in us, the desires that God has put in us. We have learned in in two separate weeks that the judgment of God is inevitable. The judgment of God is going to come. But in two of those weeks, we've also learned that the grace of God is available. And we've learned that the prayers of the righteous are effectual over the ones that we love and the ones that we care about and the ones that we want to see experience God's grace before God's judgment. And we've talked about, too, the fact and we've learned that the, the fact that our faith produces an obedience in us. And that obedience opens the door for God to work through us. Well, we're going to go into primarily Genesis chapter 22 today. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to, to turn to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to see this incredible sacrifice that Abraham is asked to make. And here's what I hope that we kind of get out of today, that we walk out of this building taking with us. And that is this, that our complete trust in God as provider, our complete trust in God as provider is revealed in our complete surrender to God's plan even when we don't understand all of God's plans. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to start at verse 1. So if you'll go there with me. Um, Verse 1, it says that sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, or the region of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, if you've never read this scripture, you've never heard this account of the history of Abraham, you've ne- you don't know what this is about, then you probably hear that or you read that and you think, what? <laughs> Why is God asking Abraham to do this? Why is he asking him to make this type of sacrifice? A sacrifice that doesn't just involve a human, it involves his son, Isaac, but it opens up the very beginning of the, of the passage. It says, God 
tested Abraham. We love tests, don't we? Tests are fun. I love tests. You love tests when you're in school. You know, you, I, I get to hear my kids talk about it with joy. They talk about all the tests that they have to take and all the tests coming up. And you can't imagine the joy that they're expressing these tests that are coming out this week. Because we all love tests, right? But tests are meant to reveal something in you. They're meant to, to show how you've grown. They're meant to show where you have gotten stronger in something. And God is testing Abraham. James, the brother of Jesus, says this about tests in his letter that he wrote to fellow believers, people who call themselves followers of Christ. He wrote this letter to them. James chapter 1, verse 12, and, and we get these words as well. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. All right? So he differentiates the two, but he says that there's a blessing that comes to those who endure the testing and the temptation because afterward they will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now he goes on in his letter to, to different, differentiate even more about temptation because there is a difference between testing from God and temptation that comes to our life from our spiritual enemy. Temptation is meant to pollute and to weaken us. Testing is meant to purify and to strengthen us, right? There's a difference in the purposes of the two. Temptations often come with what looks like pleasure and gain. We're going to get something out of this that we really like and that we really enjoy. Testing, on the other hand, when it comes our way, it often comes with pain and with loss. That's not fun, right? Temptations come from our own inward desires, as James would, go, James would go on to say. Even those who follow Christ, he's saying, you have these desires still on the inside of you that come from your flesh, and those desires are causing you, are, are leading you towards this temptation. That's not good. But tests come to us from God. They come to us from the Lord, and they have a purpose. They have something that's going to fulfill his will, lead us towards his will to fulfill Temptations are used by our spiritual enemy to bring out the worst in us. Testing is used by the Holy Spirit to bring out the best in us. And here's where testing gets difficult and temptations get difficult to avoid. Temptations seem reasonable. Why? Because it's a temptation that's coming from desires that are on the inside of us. And if that's something that's meeting a desire on the inside of me, it's reasonable that I go towards that, right? Testing, a lot of times it's going to look unreasonable. Why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? I think that's not reasonable, right? At least it doesn't seem logical either. But this is what's happening. And the purpose of tests are there to reveal what's inside of you. How you have grown. How you have gotten stronger. And think about this. If the tests get tougher, that must mean your faith is getting stronger. And so James is saying, consider it joy. When you face those things, because God is seeing in you a growth in your faith. And we're seeing that in Abraham. I'm going to point that out this morning. But Abraham has gone through multiple tests in his life. And most of these tests have called him to surrender something, to walk away from something. In the first test, it was to walk away from his family, to walk away from the home that he knew and, and all, of, all of his family and all of his friends in that home and, and to leave and go wherever God had called him to go. That was his first test, his first surrender. His second test came when he had to split up from Lot. Lot was his nephew that traveled with him. And so everything was growing. And I'm sure he enjoyed his time with Lot, but he had to 
he had to let Lot take a part of that land and they had to separate. And he had to let Lot go. His third test came when he had to let his first son go. You know, Abraham had another son. You remember him? Now to read this passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 22, we think that God might have forgot about his son, but he didn't. I'm going to explain that in a second. But he had another son, his son Ishmael, that he had had with Hagar. He and Sarah's servant. And now here, Abraham is not just being asked to let go of Isaac. He's been asked to sacrifice Isaac. And notice the extent that the angel goes to, or God goes to speaking to Abraham to make sure he understands what son he's talking about. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, the one you love. I mean, he's being very purposeful to make sure that Abraham knows what he's talking about. So what is he saying? Because it seems weird that it would be said this way. Let, let me try to, uh, try to bring some light to this, I believe. When God says the son you love, I, first of all, I don't think that means that, God does, or that Abraham doesn't love Ishmael. Abraham loved Ishmael because that was his son. If you go back one chapter to Genesis chapter 21 and you start at verse 8... It says this, when Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant, Hagar, making fun of her son, Isaac. Brothers will be brothers, right? I mean, that's just... So she turned to Abraham and she demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. If you remember, Sarah had a sudden disdain for Hagar as soon as Hagar had a son with Abraham, even though she encouraged Abraham to have a son with Hagar. And she said, he's not going to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. But notice what it says about Abraham. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. But notice that God puts an emphasis again on the promise that he said was going to come through Isaac. That's why this passage is saying, and Abraham is being told, take your son, your only son. Because Isaac was the only son that the promise of God was attached to. Isaac was the one that God said, you and Sarah are going to have a child. And Isaac is the child that Abraham and Sarah had. But when God made this promise, Abraham and Sarah thought they would take it upon themselves to help God make the promise come to pass. So their wisdom was to go and Abraham sleep with their servant Hagar. And she get pregnant. So Ishmael was born from that. That was not the fulfillment of God's promise. Ishmael was a son born of the flesh. Ishmael was a son born of man's will to make something happen. Even though they thought it was God's purpose. Ishmael was not born of the spirit. Isaac was born of the spirit. He was what came about because of the promise of God. What God made happen. What God birthed through Abraham and Sarah. 
See, when we try to produce things out of, according to our will and not God's will, those things will go into, go against and will contrast God, what God wants to produce in your life through his will. Why? Because the, fe- the flesh is in direct opposition to the spirit. Anything we try to produce of our flesh, scripture says this, is in opposition to what God wants to produce through his spirit in us. But God kept his promise that he gave to Abraham and he told him Ishmael is going to be fruitful. And Ishmael has 12 sons, each that creates 12 tribes, just like Isaac is going to have. But God also told Hagar what kind of person her son was going to be. If you go back a little bit further in Genesis chapter 16, verse 12, he says this about Ishmael to Hagar. This son of yours will be a wild man as untamed as a wild donkey. Take that. Probably how he meant it. He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all of his relatives. Whatever's produced of the flesh works against what is produced of the spirit. Whatever we try to make happen according to our will is going to work in contrast to what God wants to produce through his will in your life. And this is what happens through the Ishmaelites. This is what we see all throughout scripture. Again, we put the notes on the website. You can go to the website, go to where the media page is, and you'll find the notes and scriptures that I reference but don't necessarily read. They're fine in there. You can study it deeper if you want to. But we see through scripture where the Ishmaelites came against God's covenant people of Israel. The Ishmaelites purchased Joseph from Joseph's brothers and took him to Egypt and sold him as a slave. The Ishmaelites did that. The Ishmaelites were associated with the Midianites and attacking the children of Israel during the time of Gideon. The psalmist, we see the psalmist lament the conspiracies of the Ishmaelites that are raised against God's people of Israel. And because the Ishmaelites presented this continual threat to the nation of Israel, to the people of God, God spoke through two prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, to tell them of God's judgment that was going to come against them for their sinful ways. And he spoke specifically, they spoke specifically to three of the tribes. They spoke to Tamah, Jumah, and Kadar. We see that through scripture. Why? Because what's produced in the flesh goes against what God's spirit wants to produce through us. It's going to work in contrast to it. That's why we've got to be obedient to God. And this is what Abraham has been learning. And Abraham has been learning to trust God. And he had learned to trust God by letting Ishmael go. And now we're going to see even more growth in his faith as he obeys God in this context with Isaac. He was learning and we, we learn through watching what Abraham learns that faith doesn't demand explanations. Faith just rests in the promises of God. Abraham's not saying, no, 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 you got to give me more. You got to tell me more. You got to explain more about what I'm about to do, about what's going to happen. No, faith doesn't demand explanations. It just rests in the promises that God has given you. And Abraham doesn't compromise his obedience in this situation as we've seen him do it in the times past in scripture. He obeys God fully with full obedience. And he was moved to act in this situation because he had complete trust in God and he had complete trust in the faithfulness of God. Abraham, uh, Abraham trusted in God's faithfulness more than he feared what he could lose in this situation. That's a big faith. And that's a big trust. A complete, uh, complete trust in God's 
provision is revealed in complete surrender to God's plan. And being in the will of God and doing the will of God, it's not necessarily easy. It was painful for Abraham to let Ishmael go. And now, again, he's being asked not to just let go, but to sacrifice Isaac. Verse 3 of Genesis 22. The next morning, Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him alone, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. Notice who's not on this journey. Who's not on the journey? Mom, Sarah. Mom's not on the journey. I imagine this account of history would go a little bit different had mom been on the journey, right? She'd had a little bit more to say about what was going on. Mom went on the journey. Go to verse four. On the third day of the journey, and that's important. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And he said, stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little bit further and we will worship there. I want to pause for a moment because that phrase has always been fascinating to me. We will worship there. Now I get that worship was this worship was something that for them was sacrifices when they were being made. These were offerings and these were acts of worship. But think about it. I mean, if you look, if you had a chance to talk to Abraham, you'd be like, Abraham, as far as you know, you are being asked to go up on this mountain, put your son on a stack of wood. That's an altar. Tie him up and raise your knife to him and kill him. And you're still calling that worship. To me, that, that says something. Because I believe what Abraham is teaching us is that worship to God is a complete outpouring of our love to God. And it is a complete surrender of our affections to God. That nothing else, that we love nothing else more than we love God and following God. Isaac was the son that Abraham loved. He was, he, within Isaac was the hopes and the dreams of the future that Abraham had through what God had promised him. But Abraham was willing to lay that down for God. When you think about the things that you have fallen in love with in your life, you may have a spouse that you have fallen in love with. I do. You may have had kids. You may have a family that you love. I have a family that I love. And then then there may be things like food that you say you love. There's food that I love. I love food. You may have sports teams that you love. Right? Yeah, and some of you sat and got angry yesterday at the sports teams that you love. Right? And all of those are different levels of love, but we proclaim them to be love. We also follow, we also have love for our dreams, our ambitions, our hopes, our future. We love what we hope is going to happen in our life. But here's the thing. The greatest outpouring of our love must go to God. We can never love someone or something more than we love God. And God wants to know that we love him more than we love what he's given us. He wants to know that you love him more than what he has blessed you with. 
And here's the promise that comes from God that when you show that you worship God with all of your love and you completely surrender your love to him and your affections to him, here's the promise that comes from that. As you do that, there's a life of blessing and usefulness that's going to come from you that touches the world around you. Because that's what happens with Abraham. Are we willing, even when the sacrifices are hard, are we willing to proclaim that I'm going to, I'm worshiping God through this? Keep going. Let's go back. Let's read verse five again. He says, stay here with the donkey. Abraham told the servants, the boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there. And then we will come right back. He says, so Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. And while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, that's a pretty important question Isaac's about to ask you. Yes, my son Abraham, Abraham replied. Uh, we, we've got the fire. We've got the wood. Where's the sheep for the burnt offering? Because they usually didn't go without that as well. But these next three words are very powerful from Abraham. God will provide. And specifically, Abraham says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. And when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Now, if you don't know, again, if you don't know this account of history, you don't know what's taking place here. You don't know what's happening. Imagine this is a movie, the first time you're watching it. And the movie gets paused at this moment right here. And Abraham is standing over the stack of wood with his son laying on this wood and his knife is over him and he's about to sacrifice his son. Chills. I I get chills. I get chills even though I know the story. I get chills reading this. But you go back to verse 5. After he told him we're going to worship, what did he say? Then we will be back. He didn't say we're going to worship and then I'll be back. He didn't say we're going to, he he said we're going to worship and we will be back. It's the plural form of this. We're coming back together. Abraham had a faith that said, it's not like God to give me a promise and then take that promise away when the promise hasn't been ultimately fulfilled. I mean, Isaac was a part of the promise. He was the first part of the promise. But the future that came with Isaac, the nations that would come with Isaac, that was the ultimate promise. And there's a couple of commentaries that come from the New Testament about this situation between Abraham and Isaac. I want us to look at them real quick. James chapter 2, verse 21. James says this. He says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by what? By his actions. When he offered his son Isaac on the altar. He said, you see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. It's what we talked about a few weeks ago with Abraham. Faith produces obedience, and that obedience opens the door for God to work through us. Faith, Abraham is showing his faith is an internal conviction and an external conviction. It's an external action that reveals your internal conviction. Faith is a belief that guides behavior. And that's what we're seeing through Abraham. And, and, and James is saying it's important to understand this. We're saved by faith through grace in Jesus Christ. And that faith produces obedience. And that grace keeps picking us up and moving us forward even when we falter. 
the power of Jesus Christ. But Christianity, James says, and Abraham demonstrates, Christianity is not just about lip service. It's about lifestyle. What you truly believe is demonstrated by how you live and the things that you proclaim. And Abraham, again, was moved to act. He acted in obedience to God because he had complete trust in God. And he had complete trust in the faithfulness of God. And his trust in God and his faithfulness was greater than his fear of what he was possibly going to lose in this situation. And then look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. The author of Hebrews gives us this commentary. He says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God again was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. That's why the prophecy had not been ultimately fulfilled. And then watch this. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. That verse 19 right there, that's the kicker. The fact that Abraham reasoned that God could raise Isaac from the dead if he had to go through with it. When you think about the faith and how it's grown in Abraham, you think about what Abraham was called from the Ur of Chaldeans. This was a place, we talked about it, it was a place that was, uh, it, it was, it was externally a progressive community, but morally and spiritually it was dead. Abraham was surrounded by people who worshipped idols. He lived in a family that worshipped idols. And Abraham was called out of that and the whole course of his life was changed. The direction of his life was changed. Then, because all God needs is his word to accomplish anything, he says, you are going to have a child with Sarah. And then, we didn't read this passage of scripture the last couple of weeks, but you see in scripture that Abraham and Sarah laugh whenever God tells them that. They think it's funny because they're older in years. And they they think that's funny that God says they're going to have a child. So you know what God says then? He says, okay, you're going to name your child. I want you to name your child Isaac. And Isaac means laughter. God's got a sense of humor. He doesn't reprimand them for laughing he doesn't send them somewhere. He doesn't punish them. He just says, you're going to have the child when you have him name him Isaac. It's almost like God is saying, you know, true joy comes when you trust me to provide, even when you don't see a way for the provision. They didn't see a way for Sarah to have Isaac. Sarah was barren. God says, just trust me. And then you'll really experience joy. (laughs) You'll be laughing for sure. But see, this is what Abraham's seen. This is how his faith has grown. Abraham has seen God call him out of a place that had no meaning and had no purpose for his life. He had seen God rescue his his nephew Lot and Lot's family from a place that gave them no hope. And he's seen God put life into his wife's womb, a womb that had no life in it. Abraham's faith was in a God that had no limits. It was in a God that could do anything at any point in any time. And so now the author of Hebrews is telling us that Abraham believed in resurrection. Now the Bible teaches us a lot about resurrection. Abraham didn't have a Bible. 
He didn't have other people's testimonies. He didn't have the whole story leading up to Christ at that point. He had the birth of it happening. But Abraham believed that God would resurrect. And I believe those three words that we read in verse 8, God will provide, I believe that was the mantra that kept him moving forward. He knew that God was going to provide. He knew that God is actively always seeking and providing and acting in our life. He is watching over us. He's there. We can't forget that. Again, we said this a few moments ago. Faith doesn't demand explanation. It rests on the promises of God. And that's what Abraham was doing. Abraham knew who he was obeying. So he didn't have to know the entirety of what was going to have to happen. Complete trust in God is revealed to complete surrender to his plan. Even when you don't know the whole plan. Even in verse 2, he's being told, he says, go to the land of Moriah, the region of Moriah. It's just the area. Get to the area. That's the first step. He didn't tell him exactly where to go. He gives him the first step, the first thing to do. He says, and then when you get to the region, that area, then I'll tell you what mountain to go to. It's a step-by-step process. But your first step is your first sign of dedication to God and to follow God. But the first step isn't the only step. That's why it's called the first step. You have to continue to follow and continue to trust. We had a young lady baptized this morning. And that's just one of the first steps in saying, I'm following God. Is confessing him as Lord and Savior of your life, believing in your heart that Jesus came and did what he did on a cross and then confessing him as your Lord, your Savior, taking yourself and everything about you and everything you want to put on a throne in your life off and put Jesus on it. And say, I'm not going to try to produce on my will. I want to produce according to what God wants to produce in me. And you do that and then you signify that. That next step is to say, I'm going to be bad. Jesus said to baptize those who come to follow him. It's that step to say, I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm going to do what Jesus encouraged his disciples to do. And that's be baptized. It's the first step. But what's your first step to follow and obey God? Because your complete trust in God as provider is revealed in your complete surrender to his plan. And you don't have to know the entire plan when you know the provider. You trust Abraham had a three-day journey. Three days. He had plenty of time to turn around. (laughs) He had plenty of time to come up with a reason not to go through with this. He had plenty of time to compromise his obedience in the ways that we have seen him do it before. But the author of uh, of Hebrews says that he reasoned that God could raise the dead. Instead of disobeying God's plan, instead of doubting God's promises, he focused on God as the provider And that he could work out anything. If he was told to go through with it, God would raise Isaac from the dead. How about you? How would you think? How do you think when those situations arise in your life? And you're faced in these difficult moments and these difficult tests. What is your gut reaction? Mine's not always perfect. I can tell you that. I know Abraham wasn't either. We, we talked about this. We talked about when he first took that set to follow God and leave his family. 
And then a famine came and he went to an area. Well, what did he do? He didn't trust God completely. He told the king of that land that Sarah was his sister, not his wife. We see him do that again down the road with another king. We see him hear the promise of God that him and Sarah are going to have a child. But he decides to take it into his own hands to, to have a child with Hagar. That's not complete trust in God. We've seen him waver in his trust from time to time and think he's got to help out in a way. But now his default is not to come up with a way to help God make his promises come to pass. His default is to brainstorm the miraculous ways that God can work the situation out. I want my faith to be the latter. And he might have guessed the wrong outcome, but his faith produced the right action. What Abraham knew was that God had planned the future around Isaac. And now he's calling him to sacrifice Isaac. (laughs) Those two things don't mesh. That doesn't go together. But he obeyed God anyway, and that's faith. And Abraham didn't have faith in his own strength to be able to do it. He had faith in the strength of God's character. In the strength of God's faithfulness. He had faith in the strength of God's promises. And he had faith in the strength of God's provisions. But let's not overlook Isaac's trust and Isaac's faith in this situation. Isaac trusted his earthly father, Abraham. And I believe that led him to have a trust in his heavenly father. We don't know how old Isaac was in this situation. All scripture says when we start reading it is that Isaac was sometime later, some, some years later. But here's the thing. Isaac, we see he carries his wood up the mountain to build the altar. This wasn't just a couple of logs. If Isaac's strong enough to carry the wood to build his altar that he's going to lay on, I imagine he's strong enough to take his dad or at least fight him before being laid on that altar. The test is showing not just to be a test for Abraham, but it's a test for Isaac as well. Isaac's not dumb. We saw that. He realizes, okay, we're going to make an offering This is something that we do. God calls us to make an offering that shows that we have a debt towards him. So we got to make this offering towards our debt towards him. But we don't have an offering. Where's the offering? And Isaac trusted his father because his father had a trust in God. Another way to say that is because Abraham demonstrated a trust in God, Isaac had a trust in God. Parents, there's something that we can get out of that. Don't underestimate the fact that when you're going through your test, when you're going through your trial, your trouble, your tribulation, whatever you want to call it, when you're going through those things, even if that test involves your child, when you're going through it, how you respond in that situation is very important. Because your child will see how you respond and how you respond can encourage their faith. Or it could hurt it. Now, I know we've had this, it's kind of on pause for a while with Abraham standing there over Isaac with a knife. Most of us know the story, the account of what happens. We know that God doesn't literally want Isaac's life, but he does want Abraham and Isaac's hearts. Because eventually Abraham is going to pass away and the promise is going to move to Isaac. And Isaac's got to carry that promise and that future on with him and what's going to come through him and the generations that come through him. Isaac's going to have to have his own faith. Isaac's going to have to have his own ability to hear from God, to trust God, to follow God. He cannot completely rely on his father's faith. 
He's got to have his own faith. And we're seeing that created here. So let's unpause things and let's go back and finish this out. Verse 11. At the moment the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. You can imagine the relief that's going through Abraham. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld him from, from me, even your son, your only son. And then Abraham looked up and saw a ram, a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. God provided Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that, that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. See, everything that's happening in this situation is a foreshadowing visual of what's to come. Just as this offering was an offering that represented a debt that man owed to God, It was a visual of the covenant that God had already made with Abraham again, saying that the debt that man owes to God is going to be paid through God's one and only son, Jesus Christ. It's amazing to watch when you read through scripture, all the scripture points to Jesus Christ. And when you read through scripture and you see how the story unfolds, David, down the line, God tells King David to purchase this property in the land, in the region of Moriah. And he tells him that his son, Solomon, is going to build a temple for him there. Second Chronicles chapter three, verse one, it tells us this. It says, so Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David, his father. And then that temple became a place of substitutionary atonement. It was the place where the priest would act as a mediator between God and man. And he would bring in an animal and he would impute the sins of the men in the community and and all in the community would impute the sins of those on that animal and make a sacrifice, atoning for the sins of the people in the temple that Solomon built that God told David about in the land, in the region, in the area of Moriah. Same land, same region where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. And then many years later, down the road in that same region, In that same territory, Jesus would come. And Jesus would say, for God so loved the world, that he gave what? His one and only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. When Jesus began his earthly ministry and he walked towards John the Baptist to be baptized, John the Baptist looked at him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. And on a cross, he would become our ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate atonement for the sin of all of man. Abraham didn't lie when he said that God will provide a lamb. He prophesied. He prophesied that the lamb of God would come and would atone for the sins of all of man. Notice the parallels between Isaac and Jesus and what's happening here. Both were sons of promise. Both were a promise that came from God. Both of them, their births were announced by angels. Both of them, their names were given before to the mom and dad before they were born. Before conception. Both of them were born of miraculous means. Isaac was born to a a mom that had a barren womb. Jesus was born to a virgin. Both Isaac and Jesus carried their wood up the mountain for their sacrifice. 
Both were offered as an offering to God. Both obediently and willingly and submissively allowed themselves to be placed on the wood for the sacrifice. The fathers were both willing to sacrifice their sons. On the third day, both were received back by the father. How many days did it say that Abraham traveled and then they went up on the mountain to make the sacrifice? Three days. Well, the author of Hebrews say he might as well received him back from the dead because in his mind he thought that's what was going to happen. Jesus Christ rose again on the third day. Both would be given a bride selected by the Father through who the whole world is blessed. Isaac gets his bride, Rebecca, who they will eventually have a child. And from that line would come Jesus Christ who would receive his bride, the church. And the church is to be a blessing to the world. And where there are so many parallels between Isaac and Jesus, Isaac could not be the substitutionary atonement. Jesus Christ had to be that. Only Jesus could. Because Jesus is our ultimate provision. Look at how Apostle Paul wrote it. Romans chapter 8 verse 32. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? God will provide. He'll provide. You can let that push you and move you forward in this life. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter the struggles that you're facing, the the testing, the trial, whatever you're going through in this moment, it's hard to see God's provision. You can't see the entirety of God's plan. Just trust the provider. Your faith doesn't have to have explanations. Just let your faith rest and the promises. And his promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. If he's given you Jesus, he'll give you everything else you need. He's watching. He's actively watching and involved in your life. Trust him. Let your complete trust in God as provider be revealed by your complete surrender to God's plan. Even if you don't understand it all. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.